Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This one meant, meant, meant a lot to me. Um, you know, early on I had mixed emotions about the trade and everything. And, you know, I'd be lying to you to say I didn't circle this game. Like I told I told him I wanted to re- retire there and, 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 you know, getting traded. And, you know, just like I just had to learn. I had to learn it was a business. And, and, of course, you know, I wanted to make a regret the decision. That's where I wanted to be. And, you know, things didn't work out, you know. And uh, it was just kind of just, all right, here, you know, here you go. You know, we don't want you anymore. You know, you just kind of get pushed to the side. And, and that situation for me, and like I said, I had to grow up. Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, December 7, A.J. Brown. Boom. Bang. Bang hey. is right. Boom, bang. Well, Shocker of the year right there. I mean, that's that's up there with any of them. This was the gesture of the day. <laughs> right? Yesterday. <laughs> I know. The, I know. <laughs> the, telltale, the telltale twitch from Mike Vrabel on draft night when – Word broke, and there it is, right on cue. Well done. It's amazing. I have a feeling they had that one queued up and ready to go today over and over again. Well, we just oh. talked about it, like, what, last oh. week, two weeks ago, right? I mean, we brought this up and talked about this on the show and showed this clip of just, I think, 10 days ago about how monumental this was and how it changed their team. And I think for a guy like Vrabel, like we talked about at the time, I mean, he's – He's he's going, wait, we run the ball. We throw the ball deep. I got the greatest combination ever. Why do we got to change this? And um, yeah, that give you a crick in the neck. <laughs> One of the things about Mike Vrabel, he does not look like the name I'm about to share with you, but he moves like him. And he has the the demeanor and the body language of him. Are you ready for this? Yeah, who is it? This I'm, is going to surprise not, you. You got me going here. Tony Soprano. <laughs> I, I know what you mean there. He's, Got there, there's some whole, mafia whole, boss like yeah i hear you <laughs> just the just the his build and and his movements you know right. i could see him walking down the same way to the end of the driveway to get his newspaper every morning just yeah that same yeah just the way he he the first time i thought of it remember that video from several weeks ago 
when he went out to greet the center, and I knew that if I went down this path, the name was going to – Yeah, like, Ben Jones. There it is, Ben Jones. Yep. What a, what a complicated name to remember. <laughs> ben Jones. I, when I saw him walking down the, the tunnel to greet Ben Jones after Jones gutted it out and played a great game and it's a real show of emotion for Mike Vrabel, that's when it hit me. He does not look like him. But he moves like him, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It, you know, it, it, by all due accounts, uh, Tony Soprano, is big. he was a big guy. Uh, uh, he's big Italian caveman, Mike Vrabel's Eastern European caveman. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Big difference, though. Big difference, though. <laughs> Vrabel likes ham. <laughs> right. Tony Soprano likes gabagool. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, very popular word in New Jersey. But I could, Jersey. I, could see, I could see Vrabel <laughs> pulling out the pack, folding it open, Getting himself a piece of ham, maybe getting another one, <laughs> folding it back up and putting it back in the fridge. Don't check the date. Doesn't matter how long it's been there, as long as it's not, you know. <laughs> He's like, no, no, nobody's me. <laughs> we need, we need this. We need one of him doing doing this to Christopher. Christopher did something that uh, he shouldn't have done, and Tony's getting a little bit of that. So, I guess in this scenario, John Robinson got whacked yesterday by the. Tennessee Titans that's the big story and it just kind of fell out of nowhere and out of I don't nowhere care. I don't care what anybody says I don't care how this gets spun right there's no way in hell it's not connected to AJ Brown tearing up the team that traded him presumably on the recommendation of John Robinson because Mike Vrabel's movements were a message to the world this ain't my call Chris a hundred percent. Well, and and you know we had what some sound bites and you know Mike Vrabel quotes leading up that right. Am I am I wrong here? Ten we'll days. Never. I will we'll never, never trade, trade AJ Brown as long as, long as, as I'm, I'm here. here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, he he. I think embodies everything that Mike Vrabel wants to to his football team to be. That's where I think it it probably hurt him as well. We know he's got big time talent, and like we were talking about, the formula of what he adds there was perfect. You know, run the ball, smash mouth, smash mouth. Oh, you're creeping up to the line of scrimmage. You're playing man to man, just like you see the Eagles do. Oh, boom! We're gonna throw a deep shot down the field, covered or not. You'll probably get the football, and you'll probably catch it and make a big play. And that's and then play defense behind it. So they had something there. And then he works hard. He's physical. You know, out of the top tier receivers in football, you know, I, it, he's he's not diva ish that we you know we see it from time to times. He's kind of workman like that way. Has leadership skills. So yeah, Mike, I, I'm with you. And I think we both know too that. That, that trade led to friction for a little while. There was disappointment. I don't know how how intense it got, but I do know from enough people in the league that like Vrabel was not happy about that. There was more than just that twitch in the neck and that walk through the office there before he felt better. It took a little while. Uh, so, and yes, well, I don't even the, know. The, what, whole, the, yeah, whole, go ahead. the whole process, and we said it at the time, and we've been saying it ever since, the, the, the notion is that, when you draft players, it's it's a bunch of scratch-off lottery tickets. Yeah. And you're just looking for winners. And you don't really know who the winners are going to be. So when you get one – now, the problem is it's a bizarro lottery because if you get a winner, you've got to pay. Right. You don't get a bunch of money. you got to give a bunch of money to keep this great player. So you get to year four. He wasn't even – 
a free agent or franchise tag like Devontae Adams. He still had a year left under contract. That's when you pay him. Yeah. But no, no. They traded him in for another lottery ticket. And, you know, I we know the way general managers think and the way they view the unscratched lottery ticket. Each one can be a Hall of Famer. So, hey, we got A.J. Brown in round two. Yeah, we've I got confidence. Right. I can we, do this again. Yeah, we've yeah we've upgraded around, and we're going to re- replace him with Traylon Burks. And, hey, Burks has come on lately, but just pay the guy AJ you Brown have. Yet. Right. Right. Keep the guy you have. And I think part of it is you've got some general managers, Chris, that are viewing receivers like running backs. I can find one anywhere. And yeah. there are a bunch of great receivers yeah. now. There right. are. But th- there are only a few special ones. There are still more special receivers than there are special running backs. Right. So when you have a special receiver, you don't trade him in for the hope that you're going to get the, the rough edge of the quarter – and you're going to, you know, special receiver. Oh, I got a special receiver. Oh, is there a third one? Hey, special receiver. You can't. Why? Keep the one you have. And that's why Mike Vrabel was saying all that stuff. And and Mike Vrabel was proven right by what the Titans experienced, the ass kicking they took in Philadelphia, thanks in large part to the guy that they traded away for a new lottery ticket. Right. And, and, and it's all, I mean. If the tight, why not wait till the end of the season? Now I know why you don't wait. I mean, if you want, if you're going to have a new GM, you may as well do it now because you got to plan for free agent, you got to plan for the draft. This is not an ideal time to do it, but it's far less ideal to do it when the regular season or your postseason run ends because then you're really up against it. Yeah, so right. it does make sense. Right. But to do it two freaking days after that game, of course you're sending a message. Of course you are. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I mean, I think there's a few things to hit on here. You know, one, you're right. It, there are good receivers everywhere, and we're seeing them coming out in the draft. But special ones don't grow on trees. And A.J. Brown is, you know, Mike, and please push back if you think I'm wrong. He's in the elite class of wide receivers in football. I mean, hey, we could all, you know, we know Tyreek and, and, and uh, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, you know, the, the, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown. I mean, right off the top of my head, Stephon Diggs, we're probably going to throw in that conversation. And it's those five or six right away that I think just pop to your head. Devontae Adams, excuse me, that go right into your brain where you start to go, wait, those are the special ones. And I don't think anybody that follows football, you know, would disagree with that's kind of the group of the the elite of the elite there. I'm probably missing one or two, and no disrespect. I'm just going off the top of my head here. But, yeah, I think that's where, you know, your point's real. Uh, he's a mismatch nightmare, just like we saw last week. Titans got pretty good corners. Didn't really matter, right? And then, you know, I think you'd add on to the fact of he wasn't being selfish or, and, and, and trying to break the bank with the money in that situation. You know, he, was, he was willing to kind of, hey, wait it out. I want to be here. He put himself out there emotionally and professionally about where he wanted to be and wanted to finish his career. So there's a lot of things that I think. But then, Mike, I mean, you're right. To happen just right after that butt kicking. And, you know, I, I got to say, when I'm watching film yesterday, and I got John Robinson's done a great job, but I, I almost sat there as I was watching, and this broke as I was watching this game. I was just going, man, yeah, A.J. Brown did that play into it, and then what conversations spawned off of that? You know, was there something else that went on where, like, Vrabel was like, wait, did, were you on the field today? Did you see that team? And did you look at our team? 
all I had to do was look at their team and knew they were better. And I just wonder if that – because it, it jumps out how much bigger and physical Philadelphia was compared to Tennessee, even on film. And I, I just wonder if some of those things wormhole into other conversations. Well, and that's the other side of the coin here. John Robinson wasn't willing to pay A.J. Brown. Howie Roseman, who built this badass team yeah. in Philadelphia that is now 11-1, and was willing to pay him and give up a first-round pick to get him. Not just give him what the Titans wouldn't, but give a first-round pick on top of it, which necessarily means, Chris, if A.J. Brown was already on the Eagles, they would have paid him more than what they did because there's value in that first-round pick. So that, coupled with the fact that the Eagles are the best team right now in the NFL and that Roseman has made great decision after great decision after great decision – in this showdown of who did the right thing, Howie Roseman wins, John Robinson loses, and John Robinson is out. A couple of more points that I think are important. Yeah, hit on them. One, I first had an inkling that things weren't on the same page between Robinson and Vrabel after they traded for Julio Jones last year. Right. And I'm sure I've said it at some point on this show. You said it a bunch, Mike. We talked about it a lot. Just to, yeah, so all because the comments made, John Robinson why. will here's answer why. all the questions. Vrabel, that, that, it happened in June. Right. Remember, the Falcons held him until June 1 to manage the cap hit, and then all of a sudden there's this big buildup, and they tried to get the word out at the draft. He's available June 1. They wanted to do a deal so they could trade him June 1, and all through May it's crickets, 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 and then after June – here come the Titans. He did a deal for a two and a four, if I recall correctly. Good chance I don't. And all it was in the aftermath of that deal was John Robinson talking here. John Robinson talking there. John Robinson talking here. Not a single time did Mike Vrabel open his mouth. You know why? Because he's back there. Yeah, twitching his neck. He didn't, he didn't love he's that back one. There. What do, why do I want this, all due respect, washed up receiver on my team? Why do I want this guy who can never practice and rarely play on my team. Is he going to magically change? Is he going to walk through the door and want a huge contract like he has multiple times for the Falcons? I don't need this. I don't want this. Don't give me this. Don't put this on me right now. So that's, that's you think that You think that point. maybe was a, a start of the beginning there? Is that what you're trying that to was say? The first, yeah. That was the first friction moment. If you're looking for circumstantial evidence, right. that was the first piece of it. And it, it just it's always made me wonder, is there a power struggle between the two and how does it resolve itself? Now, I never would have dreamed it would have resolved itself in John Robinson being fired two days after they got their ass kicked by the Eagles with the help of A.J. Brown. Maybe maybe in hindsight, we should have. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised by it. But I feel like there's been that tug of war and that's not good. That's not healthy. That's dysfunctional for everything they've done right the fact that Vrabel and Robinson weren't on the same page is bad, regardless of who's right. And clearly ownership believes Vrabel is right. The mere fact that it existed is bad. It never should happen. The GM and the coach should always be on the same page. It makes it so much harder to have a successful football team if there's any reason to believe that the GM can get the coach fired if things aren't going well, or the coach can get the GM fired if things aren't going well. That's not good. And, Chris, it may be that Mike Vrabel 
morphs into a Bill Belichick-type figure in the aftermath of this, where we don't have these power struggles in the future because Vrabel is now the emperor of the football program, potentially in Tennessee. I, I, I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, I think he's kind of showing that he's probably capable of doing that if he's got the right guy, you know. To, to, to be the GM, I wouldn't be shocked. The guy that's the interim now, I mean, he's kind of a hot name last year. I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. He's a guy that was, you know, involved in some of the GM conversations uh, last year of some of the job openings. You know? Ryan Cowden. Exactly. Right. Ryan Cowden, excuse me. Yeah, but I, I would think that, you know, there's a chance. Uh, yeah, Vrabel has total control. Got a guy like Ryan Cowden who, hey, I trust you. You could do the work, you know, and then, oh, bring me. Oh, here. All right, we've narrowed it down. Here's the top 10 free agents we think at this position. Now you start to go through it and kind of give us your feel or the final say here. But, you know, still. All right, so I'm still shocked. I really am. I mean, I'm shocked, but I'm shocked from the standpoint of just what Tennessee has done since John Robinson's been there, what they've built. You know, where their team has been year after year. Uh, it, it's, it's been a team that has not had to make huge splash free agency signings necessarily all the time or doing it. It's been built in a lot of ways the right way. You would think Vrabel would be happy with the team and, and how it was built that way. Physical, tough, hard nose. They've been a player in the AFC. You know, you just put all that together, it's, it, it's shocking. It really is. And then in the middle of a, a season where just two weeks ago they were flirting with the number one seed in the AFC conversation here, and now they've lost two in a row and things are a little different. But I will say, even as weird as it is, if you're going to have a divorce or you're going to pick one, and I really like John Robinson, I respect him, I do, I, I, you, you keep Brable. Brable, I think we're in agreement here. For me – is got a specialness factor about him. I mean, I, I think he's one of the top coaches in football. When you just blend it all together as far as the team, how he can communicate with them, the toughness on the field, the attention to detail, right? How he manages games and situation situations, it's top notch. You know, th that that to me is where, yeah, if there is an issue there and ownership has to step in and make a decision, you do keep Mike Vrabel because coaches like that do not grow on trees. And I think he's a, a pretty damn special one. And they have done a lot of great things. They ended up with the yeah. number one seed last year after having an unprecedented revolving door of players. The most players ever on a roster at any given time throughout the season. It was up near 90 it was a bunch of guys that are just – and John Robinson is the one chiefly responsible for finding Yeah, getting guys. the guys to replace so he, them and do that. That's what he I, had a right, role in this. Right. But, you know, it, it just makes me wonder about everything. It makes me wonder about what Mike Vrabel really wants at quarterback. A hundred percent. I thought Willis, of that too. Right. A right. John Robinson guy that they're thinking about the future, and Vrabel's thinking about, I want Tannehill. Tannehill's still in his mid-30s. Yeah. We can keep Tannehill for five more years. What are we doing here? Why are we ambivalent about this guy just because there was one bad game? Right. So here's the other point, too. And, and let me just read a little from the statement from the owner of the team. Because at the end of the day, the owner's the one who makes these decisions. And... The owner's going to rely upon whatever factor he or she wants to rely upon. Amy Adams Strunk said, since becoming controlling owner in 2015, my goal has been to raise the standard for what is expected in all facets of our organization. I believe we have made significant progress both on and off the field through investments in leadership, personnel, and new ideas. 
This progress includes the core of our business, the football team itself, which is regularly evaluated both by results, wins and losses, and team construction roster building. I'm proud of what we have accomplished in my eight seasons of ownership, but I believe there is more to be done and higher aspirations to be met. Now, the team construction roster building, a.k.a. A.J. Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> wins and losses, a.k.a. we just got our asses kicked by a better football team that they've built in the way that Mike Vrabel maybe has been telling us behind the scenes we should be building our team. But, Chris, when I read this, th- this is one of the realities that you must face when you are the coach or the GM of a team that is just knocking on the door. You can only knock on the door so long before you kick it in because you run the risk of ownership eventually saying, I need somebody who's going to kick it in. Right. I'm sick of all this knocking. Yeah, I'm all, so all we're doing is knocking, yeah. knocking, knocking. I Come on, let's let's go. We are on the brink. The people we have can't kick in the door. Let's go find somebody to kick in the door. And and I don't need to name names. I don't need to name teams. We know the teams that are out there that have just been doing this and the time's coming to kick the freaking door in. So that's why maybe in one city in western New York, there goes not naming names, there are some nervous people about how this season goes because you never know what ownership's going to do. That's the good and the bad. We talk about the Packers all the time. There isn't one person who can roll out of bed on any given day and say someone needs to go. In Tennessee, there is. And Tuesday morning, Amy Adams Strunk rolled out of bed and decided it's time for someone to go. Or she, after sleeping on it, reaffirmed the decision she had made the night before. That's the value and also the risk of having one person in charge of a team. Yeah, it, it, it is. And But, but it, it, you know, I, I have a hard time thinking that this was something that just came out of the blue right on a on a monday after the game against philadelphia i i would ha- i would like to think or i would i would think just from experience of being around the nfl you know most of my life and and being involved in it for a little while myself and just that this was something that was kind of ruminating that there was conversations here you know that had taken place already and then that sunday was just the tipping point and that's where yeah i i, I question a lot of things mike now you know, I, I start, you start to think about the moves that were made, and you go, oh, wait, you know, okay, not only did they trade A.J. Brown, but then they brought in Robert Woods to re- kind of replace him, too. That hasn't worked. That wasn't good. He's off an ACL injury. They gave Bud Dupree a ton of money to r- rush the passer, right? What did he come off of? An ACL injury, right, when he got the contract? I just, I'm starting, when, when I heard this, I just started thinking of all the different things that maybe were questionable, and... Of course, their offensive line is not as good as it was a few years ago when they were in the AFC Championship. You know, they've lost some players there. Uh, Jack Conklin, they let him go to Cleveland, and he went there and was one of the best right tackles in football for a little while. So, yeah, it, it makes you, it, it makes you just wonder. You know, was this a bunch of things? Is it a total? You know, just butting of heads and philosophies. And yeah, I just have a hard time thinking that this was not an issue behind the scenes already. And that Sunday just blew it up and brought it to the front forefront here. And it was like, okay, owner, okay, Mike Vrabel, all right, John Robinson, you know, and that's where we are. But I, I'm still shocked that it, it came to this at this point of the year. I am. Yeah, I, look, it was just a real stunner with five weeks left in the regular season. The Titans 
undoubtedly winning the AFC South. Now, the problem with what has happened the past couple of weeks, and we've talked about this in recent days, you now put yourself in position where you're going to be the four seed, which means whoever the best non-division winner is in the conference is coming to see you in the wild card round. What a, a difference from being the one seed and getting that week off. Not that it made a difference last year because they lost to the Bengals. Oh, and right now they're going to see the Bengals again. Whoever that top – oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, I think that the Bengals are going to end up winning that division, though, now that – even though the, the Bengals have the much tougher schedule, but the tough. Ravens yeah. don't have Lamar Jackson week to week. But it's going to be the Bengals or the Ravens or the Dolphins, possibly the Jets. But it's going to be a good team. It's going to come to town. No question. And, 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 and hey, look, it's not like – the two or the three seed is going to have a, a cupcake when you consider those wild cards, but still you want to be as high as you can. And when you had that, that vibe that, you know what, just like last year, while the bills and the chiefs and the Bengals kind of battle it out, we just kind of slip up on the inside rail and take the one seed. It felt like they were going to pull that off, especially after they beat the Packers. And now it just doesn't. No, it, it doesn't. It's 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 a little off. They ran it, ran into a buzzsaw, you know. And they played some good football teams here and, and played the best team in football. You know, I think without question right now is the Philadelphia Eagles, and they got taught a lesson there. And it was pretty apparent that yes, they're not in the same class as Philadelphia sitting here in Week 13 of the NFL. You know, can they improve on some things here late in the season? Sure. You know, if they played again, could they upset them? Yeah, but it's going to take some, I think, some miraculous things. They're, they're, they're not in the same class. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I do feel for John Robinson. I always I feel for him, too, in the fact of just that, you know, GMs usually, he did a good job, and they usually don't get a second chance. That's, what, that's what's weird about being a GM, too. And, you know, here's one case where you go, well, here's a guy that did a lot of good, and it sounds like it's just a, a butting of heads here, not necessarily a failing totally at the job to where you don't think about hiring him again. Um, but, man, that, it's a, it's a big-time move for, for the Tennessee organization. I got to think, too, Mike, to your point, that, that Mike Vrabel full control over the roster is coming shortly behind this, or whoever the GM is is going to know that that's the understanding between Vrabel and ownership and that that's the way it's going to be, and, and uh, I, I could see that happening. Well, and I think that's what ownership wants. I think that's what this message implies. Even if there's never a memo sent internally, Vrabel is now the king of that football operation, and he has earned it. And you could argue, and presumably someone did internally, that the team would be even better if Vrabel had just been the person in charge. That Vrabel has ascended to the point where he has shown a sufficient mastery of all things football, just like his friend and mentor Bill Belichick, that he should be the person who's involved. Instead of having this constant push and pull and back and forth, and Vrabel's not going to step away from a fight, an argument, a debate. He's always going to make his views known on everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And when you win... You can get away with that. When you win, your views become validated. When you lose, you're just, you know, shouting into an empty room. When you win, you're the guy everybody listens to. Yeah. And clearly someone in Tennessee is listening to Mike Vrabel. And now we see what the Titans do going forward without John Robinson there to make the decisions as to personnel for the balance of the season. We know that decisions will be made then. Who we keep in advance of free agency, who we pursue in free agency 
who we draft, who we sign as undrafted free agents. I think that's all going to be Vrabel. With the final say, either in writing or as a practical matter, he's going to be calling the shots. I got no problem with that. I mean, listen, he's been in all those Super Bowl teams. He knows what a nose tackle should look like, an outside linebacker should look like. And, Mike, we talk about a lot of the times, too. I I think it's a guy that's been in the business enough, too, where it's not too much on his plate, right, to where – and also he's not a play caller. He's a, he's a an, an overseer. I know he's involved in game planning, and he's a, a manager of the football game, I think, for both both offense and defensive coordinator. But he's got two coordinators that I think he trusts to where, you know, I do think he's a guy that certainly can kind of pull, it, pull both off. And, hey, hey, blah, 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 I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Oh, let me go in here and wait. There's some guys on the street that I got to look at. To Maybe we got to sign at right tackle here. Let me look at them real quick. Oh, hey, let me get out of the meeting. Hey, guys, I don't like that defense adjustment, this, blah, blah, blah. You know, he seems like he's perfectly capable of doing all that stuff. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines and and to the extent that vrabel took over yesterday one of the first decisions he had to make is whether to put in a waiver claim for quarterback. Boom. Look at you hosting and turning the tables here. Hey, hey, who knows? Who knows? For all we know, Chris, for all we know, what brought it to a head was John Robinson pushing to make a waiver claim for Baker Mayfield <laughs> and Mike Vrabel saying, are you freaking crazy? Yeah. Are you right. crazy? Let's take this to the boss. Let's finally, <laughs> I'm sick of all this shit. Let's take this to the boss and let's hash this out once and for all. Wouldn't that be something if that was really the catalyst for change? Regardless, they didn't make a claim for Baker Mayfield. The Rams, the Rams did that was one of the teams we had flagged. I yeah. mean, what the hell? Matthew Stafford's on injured reserve. John Wolford is injured and not good, all due respect. Bryce Perkins is raw. Right. We don't know whether he's going to be good or not. And Thursday night football against the Raiders. Monday night football against the Packers. Christmas Day. Late afternoon in the Cowboys Thanksgiving Day window against the Broncos. Are you kidding? We're subjected to that one now. Baker Mayfield. At least we can come up with a plausible reason to be mildly curious because the Rams have Baker Mayfield, Chris. I mean, to me, it was the most obvious choice. And the surprise was no one else even bothered to put in a claim. No one else wanted him. That's what surprised me because I thought four or five teams could, could convince themselves we should spend five weeks with this guy and figure out whether we want to keep him next year. Yeah, I, I hear you, Mike. I think it came down to like what we talked about, though. He's such a, a he's a name, you know, where media fan bases get around to where I, I think a lot of teams just didn't want to deal with you know that circus or those questions or have that in the locker room or have their young quarterback have to deal with, hey, wait, this is our franchise quarterback, but we we got this guy too, and now he's got to hear about that. And it just I, there, there was there was limited options like we went over yesterday. I'm still shocked, too, that it was only one team. But, man, man, I, I think this is, this is the spot for Baker. Uh, this is a great spot for him. 
And and I think the the reason I think that is just one that I you know I don't think Baker Mayfield is going to go. I think there's a real future here for for him with the Rams. And 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 hear me out. No, no. The first thing I would say is I don't think Baker's getting signed by anybody this offseason to be the starting quarterback of their football team. I think that's gone now, right? So I think he's already being relegated. It would be a special situation, I think. And so for 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 that and lack of that special situation, I think he's relegated to, to backupville that we've talked about a little bit. And to me, this is the perfect place to go and kind of revive your career. You're with a guy with like McVay who people look at as, you know, somewhat of a quarterback whisperer. And it's a team that's won. And you're behind, even if, you know, again, backup quarterback, you're behind Matthew Stafford, who gets hurt a lot, has been beat up a lot already in his career. I don't know if he's the type of guy that can last and play till he's 40 years old. He's not a huge human being either. And they got a not a great offensive line to where I just look at this and this could be a spot where, hey, you next year, if you do get to go in and Stafford gets hurt, well, they're going to be better. They're gonna, you're going to have a system, a support system. It's all, it, could, it could all be positive, let alone just you being on the Rams with McVay and the, you know, oh, hey, he does everything right. He's a great worker, and all that stuff starts to filter through the NFL. He brings great energy to the building every day, a little bit like we saw with Odell Beckham Jr., and all of a sudden everybody's like, hey, this guy's a good guy. He's a good team guy, right? The Rams said it. The Rams said it. He's a good team guy. And, and that, to me, is where this could be good for Baker Mayfield. And I think it's, you know, like you're saying, a smart move by the Rams as well. Yeah, I don't know how much stock I'd put in anything Sean McVay has to say after how things have gone this year, but that's a different point altogether. You're right, though. Stafford is a guy that needs a good backup. And one of the problems of F them picks, you got less draft picks you can use taking a flyer on a rookie quarterback. Yeah. You've got less cap space to pay decent money to a backup seven eight nine million dollars per year you got to rely on these young guys on their rookie contracts where it's a low cap burden because you're paying Matthew Stafford you're paying Jalen Ramsey you're paying Aaron Donald you're paying Cooper, Cooper Cup, Cup. Right. you're paying Bobby Wagner you got all this money we've talked about this yeah that's Floyd. the big risk of right. F them picks and all that money being paid to a small handful of guys once those guys start getting injured you are screwed right and that's what they've been at the quarterback position so hey maybe we need to rethink this maybe we need to have somebody maybe maybe we we need to be a little more zealous in getting Matthew Stafford to let us know when he's having issues I still think Matthew Stafford gets banged up goes home shuts his mouth goes to bed gets out of bed comes to work doesn't say boo to anybody I think you're right when Mike. he's injured right and he goes as long as he can until he can't go anymore <laughs> right and then they're screwed right. and that's what happened this year they have to have somebody who's ready to go if Matthew Stafford needs to sit for week five and and heal up a little bit we're not stuck with John Walford, all due respect, or Bryce Perkins. We got Baker Mayfield who can come in and hold it together for a week. That's what they need to do. And you're right. Maybe through this five-week audition, get to know each other, they decide he's our guy who could maybe do a one-year, $7 million contract, exactly. come right. back next year and be the backup, and position himself right. to go be a starter in 2024. Because he hasn't done anything. He made this big bet on himself, Chris. Yep, yep. He gave up $4.6 million in guaranteed money 
to go to Carolina, and the big bet blew up in his face because he lost that $4.6 million. It's never coming back, and he's done nothing to position himself to go get paid as a starter, like you said. So oh. it's time to make chicken salad, yeah. and it starts in Los Angeles. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and you know, you got to just start being a little choosy, and you can't be too greedy. You can't be, oh, I want to be a starter. Okay, well, you know, you, you know that, that is gone, you know. And you got to be careful about, you know, putting yourself in a place where, oh, yeah, I think I could be the starter really quick. But, yeah, okay, that, you know, that team's probably crappy, and that's why you might be able to be the starter. And, you know, as we've always talked about, when you're around crap and everything, you start to smell like crap, and it gets on you a little bit. And all of a sudden, you look crappy, too. And that's what happened to him in Carolina. I mean, it, you know, horrible offense. And, not, you know, not great talent there. And I don't care who you put in a quarterback in Carolina. It, it ain't going to look that good with, with the support system. So now you got to go to a place where, hey, they've shown they know how to support the quarterback. You know, I know this is a rough year, but we got to go through the track record of Sean McVay and the Rams. And, you know, his in totality, it says that they'll be back next year. You know, even last week, it's still they're fighting. They're playing hard as hell. Uh, so I don't think McVay's lost the locker room. There's a culture there of winning and competing, and I do think Baker Mayfield can can fit that. And you know, yeah, if he gets that opportunity, he's going to be in a, a system that's tried and true, and he's going to have some people around him to you know make it work at least better than it did in, in Carolina. And we'll see if he can take advantage of that opportunity if he ever gets it. It will be interesting to see how it plays out and how quickly he plays. There was a report yesterday suggesting that he could play as soon as Thursday night. That's a tall order. Oof. It's one thing for Christian McCaffrey to come in and know what a running back does in his spot in the San Francisco offense. Chris, it's quite another. Can you imagine? Take me through what the challenges would be. Baker Mayfield gets on a plane, has the playbook downloaded onto his tablet, spends the cross-country flight, beginning to become acquainted with the offense. I mean, I understand all you have to know is the game plan for Thursday night. But yeah, that's still not I easy. I mean, you're talking about 48 hours. Right, right. right? I, I can't to, imagine You're that. walking through the door cold. Totally cold. And he does – he's got, you know, I think a, he's got a little history with this system to a degree. You know, there's going to be similar rules, but the language is going to be different. And, yeah, that's – you're on the plane and you start to go – you know, okay, wait, they, all right, we called this We called this double wing right, now they call it this. And, oh, all right, wait, we used to call slant flat lion, and they call it bangle. And, okay, so you're starting to process that all together. That You know, that's fine and dandy, and sure, you'll get some of the basics down there. But, I mean, for him to play on a Thursday night, to know, like, oh, wait, hey, there's a, there's a will linebacker, the weak side linebacker, and the free safety are going to blitz. Uh, we want to audible out of it. Just expect him to know that or to talk to the center and be like, hey, hey, we got to change the protection here and protect the guy. That's where, you know, I find that almost impossible to think that that could happen. It's just, it's just too much. I mean, McVay would have to have the perfect game plan or the most conservative game plan in the history of football where he'd be like, all right, we're just going to have these three or four runs and a few passes, and you just we're going to block it up and you can throw it down the football field. And you'll know the concepts and we'll work, you know, work through them over the next few days. But I, I, I would be shocked to see him on Thursday night. I think maybe a chance next week. Okay, if Wolford's not ready and everybody, I could see that. But uh, I, I don't think we're going to see that against the Raiders here tomorrow. And they have an extra day to get ready for the next game. They've got that extended 11 days between Thursday and Monday because they play the Packers Monday Night Football at Lambeau Field 
And, you know, there's an element of entertainment value and showmanship here. One of the points I made yesterday, because we went through all the teams yeah. at PFT, and I had, I went as broadly as I could. I identified 16 teams that should at least think about it. And the Rams were one of them. And one of the reasons is, as I mentioned earlier, next three games, standalone national windows that can't be flexed away. The fourth one is a Sunday night game against the Chargers, which I assume the NFL is going to choose because it's the NFL's decision to flex out a Sunday night week 17. Rams at Chargers, no one's going to want to see that, period. And you've got the the next three games where people need to tune in. I, I suspect 345 Park Avenue was happy that Baker Mayfield ended with the Rams because now there's at least a reason to tune in and watch some of the games. Because maybe Baker Mayfield's going to play. Let's see how he does. Let's see if they're any different. Let's see if they can be a little bit of a spoiler. Not that they're spoiling anything for the Broncos, but yeah. They can spoil something for the Packers. Maybe they can be the team that delivers the final nail for Green Bay. Who knows? Yeah. That's coming out of a bye for Green Bay. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But at least it adds a little something. And the other point, too, Chris, about the fact that no one else made a waivers claim. To the extent that there's any further need for Baker Mayfield's ego to be put in check, for Baker Mayfield to be humbled from that guy who was a pain in the ass for the Browns, prickly with the media. Remember last year they beat the Lions. He was yeah. mad because he got booed. Right. He didn't meet with reporters. So all the, the locker room stuff, him versus Odell Beckham Jr. Who did the players defend? They didn't defend him. Like to the extent that he had to stop being a pain in the butt, when you see that 31 teams had a chance to claim you on waivers and only one said yes, that, that's the kind of thing that can maybe send a message. If he needed any further messages to be appropriately humble about where he is in his career and where he's going from here going forward, that, that was actually a good thing for him. They did him a favor and the Rams a favor by having no one else claim him on waivers yesterday because – if he's not happy in L.A., it's not like anybody else is going to want him. No, you're right. I mean, most guys go to L.A. and are happy and are, like, pretty pleased with that culture. You know, well, Baker. But they're three and nine. Yeah. But they're no, three and it, nine. It's, it's, you're right. It's, it's, it's a different building in there right now than it was last year. That's for sure. Uh, Baker, yeah, did not always handle himself right. You're right. You know, he did get screwed over by the Cleveland Browns in an epic way. I mean, epic. In all time. You know, it, it, it deserves the word something more aggressive than screw. An all-time yes, screw yes, over. Yes. But I'll, I'll let it be right now in case yes. my boss is listening. Thank you. All right? But that – that Has that ever stopped you in the past? Uh, a little bit. I sometimes get a text during the show like, okay, stop swearing. And then I, I do try to dial it back a little. <laughs> but – and then you know, this year, you can say what you want. He's been great this year, right? He's made zero, zero issues, been a total leader – you know, it's been a very tough situation. There's been a lot of issues there in Carolina. Baker Mayfield has never been at the forefront of any of them. So I think those are all good things. And then, yes, yes, yesterday, you know, certainly I would think would pop your eyes open to go, damn, I'm not that hot of a commodity anymore. I'm not. And that's why the Rams, again, I think is the perfect spot. You go there, you rebuild your reputation, you know, McVeigh and the coaches who leave that building will start to slowly talk about how professional you are and how awesome you are and you're smart and damn you could throw the football you'll get your chance again 
and more than likely it could be next year if you hang around there. So hopefully he makes a good impression, and you know I think it's the perfect spot for him to be a backup and, and rebuild this thing. And here's the other side of it, too. I believe he used, he and people close to him used the media to get his complaints out in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. We saw that time and again. There hasn't been a single Sunday splash report. There hasn't been anything along the lines of Baker Mayfield was unhappy when they traded Christian McCaffrey because he wouldn't have come to Carolina if he thought he wouldn't have McCaffrey available to him all year long. That would have been a very reasonable thing for someone to report. And it would have been a reasonable thing for Mayfield to believe. And to the extent that he did believe it, he never said it, he never leaked it. And that's a sign of maturity. There was nothing that happened since he was traded to the Panthers, either coming out of his mouth or through his demeanor or through any reports from unnamed sources with knowledge of the situation that Mayfield was anything other than perfectly content to be where he was. And we didn't even know he wanted out until he got out. No, well, and that's where I want to go with that a little bit. I do want to, I would want to ask you, because the other thing I thought of when, when this kind of came about, you know, of course we thought, oh, maybe he's doing this because of the 49ers, right? Maybe, but I, I, I do wonder, is this, was there an inside deal here to be had with the Rams? You know, with their record, you know they're going to be high up on the wi- waiver wire, right? You're, it is one of those things where the agent could call those teams that are in front of the Rams and the waiver wire, get a feel. Hey, hypothetically, right? Hypothetically, hypothetically, right? Baker, you know, I think we can go in into Carolina. They're done with you. You, you could ask, and I think they'll let you go, and we'll see where it goes. I think I, I thought maybe that when I first saw that the inside deal was for the 49ers, but maybe we were wrong. The inside deal was. You know, the Rams and McVeigh and Les Snead work in the back channels here all along. And this is this is why Baker, you know, asked for his release. He thought there's a good chance he could end up here. And look, the Panthers save one point three million dollars in cash and cap space. What they do sacrifice, though, is the ability to get a compensatory pick. Next year, 2024, as Mayfield walks out the door. But remember, you only get those if you lose more guys than you sign. If the Panthers are planning on going out and signing a bunch of guys in free agency this year, and I think they want to keep the door open to do so, then you're not going to get a compensatory pick for Baker Mayfield. So that's not a reason to hold him. You move off of a guy that you're done with. Mm -hmm. You save $1.3 million in cash and cap space, and, and he gets a chance to do something the next five weeks. Before we move on, let's hear from Rams offensive coordinator Liam Cohen on bringing Baker Mayfield to the L.A. Rams. Here he is. Yeah, I think it's just a chance to evaluate. You know, you're always looking for competition at every position, um, you know, and you're, you're looking for a chance to evaluate talent, and um, that was the goal. The goal was to try to bring somebody in here that can continue to add and provide depth um, but also compete. And uh, we felt like that was the right decision to make. And, um, you know, we, we feel good about our room and the quarterback that we have for the future of the Los Angeles Rams, which is Matthew Stafford. But, you know, feel obviously pretty good about somebody to come in here and compete at a high level for us. The future is Matthew Stafford, but really you have to wonder how long that future is going to last. He's mid-30s. He feels like an old mid-30s. It is an old mid-30s, right taken a lot of pounding over the years and we don't know how much he's taken we don't know how many injuries he's had because he is the exact opposite of big ben all due respect but we know we know 
On one hand, you got the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man with an ice pack on every joint on his body during a training camp practice. On the other hand, you got Matthew Stafford, who, you know, just has a slight hitch yeah, in his giddy di- up. Put some dirt in on late it. November. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And don't tell anybody. I mean, right. just go. Just go. It's football. Yeah, I'm hurt. Yeah, you know, I can't. My arm doesn't work right. I'm still going to find a way to throw the football. It, you just get to a point where you physically can't do it anymore. Th- this placement of him on injured reserve is kind of a microcosm of what may happen when his career ends. You just get to a point where no matter how badly you want to do it, you physically can't do it. And that day may be coming sooner than we realize. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I do agree with you in the fact that he has got more wear and tear on him than we've seen from most franchise type quarterbacks. You know, that, that's the unfortunate thing about one, he got into the league super young, right? He was playing as 21 years old, 21 year old. I think he drafted at 20 or just turned 21. Uh, so he's he's been around longer than we think, and yeah, he took a beating there with the Detroit Lions. Uh, they they never had a great offensive line as we've discussed. They never had a run game. It was all him. It was him hanging in the pocket and throwing sidearm lasers down the football field, and and just getting crushed doing it. And then really, since he's been with the Rams, he's been crushed a lot too. He took a lot of hits last year. The offensive line was not the strength of their football team. It was kind of the thing they managed to make happen. And then this year, it was an absolute disaster. So, yeah, from, from the Rams' standpoint, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Would it shock me if the Rams are better next year? Absolutely not. Would it shock me within being better that week five, Matthew Stafford gets hit a lot in the game and has to miss two or three games and they need Baker Mayfield to come in if that you know marriage works here the last five weeks? Absolutely not either. And I, I think that's where it, you know, it makes sense for them, too. Matthew Stafford turns 35 on February 7th. So for a couple of months, he's the exact same age as Russell Wilson. Now, that used to be more stunning than it is now because Russell Wilson feels like he's a guy who's, who's aging more quickly than he <laughs> should as a franchise-level quarterback. Um, you mentioned the offseason and what's to come and next year. We've reached the excuse-making portion of the season for the Rams, and two of the things that came out from Sean McVay earlier this week, number one, it, it, it was a factor not having Matthew Stafford available to throw in the off-season program. Yeah, Sean McVay finally admitted that. Right, yeah, right. How could it not be? Why do right. we practice? As right. McVay said, why do we practice in the off-season? What's the point, Aaron Rodgers? Why do we do it? Why are we there? Well, so you're, you're ready to go when the season starts. And also – the turnover and the short turnaround. You play until the middle of February. You lose Kevin O'Connell, and we're seeing the value Kevin O'Connell possibly brought to the Rams last year, given what he's doing with the Vikings this year. And you don't have as much time. Remember the year that the Panthers made it to the Super Bowl and they dramatically revamped their offseason program just because, you know, their guys are beat up. They're tired. And you're riding the wave of winning the Super Bowl. And everybody says how great you are. And you're in L.A. and you get this big giant ring that looks like it weighs 15 pounds. I mean, yeah, it's 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 hard. It's hard to turn it around and reset, and off you go. And your starting quarterback wasn't able to throw. And then he didn't throw for And then managed in training camp. camp That's what I was going to say. Yeah. This went beyond OTAs and all that. I mean, we were we were talking about pitch count and, oh, look, he – he he went a few days without us talking about his elbow hurting as that that was big news in the middle of August. So how could that not affect? Yes, that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reps that went by you know the wayside there. 
because, yeah, we had to manage the, the quarterback and we couldn't get some young guys, you know, ready in time. And, and there's just, yeah, it was the, it was an ultimate Super Bowl hanger, hangover in the party city where you're right, an, old, an, an older team that is not very deep, right, lost some key players in the offseason, you know, middle-class players that helped their team, let alone some stars, and then, you know, oh, you know, our quarterback's banged up. Our big free agent signing and, and, and uh, Robinson didn't show up at wide receiver, really. Our offensive line's worse than we thought. And it's just all gone the wrong direction for the Rams this year. So, yeah, now it's all about just rebuilding, retooling, and thinking about the future. And that's why they make this move. It's all gone in the right direction for the San Francisco 49ers this year with one thing in common with the Rams. Their starting quarterback is done for the rest of the year. Unless he isn't. Uh-oh. The news came Sunday from the mouth of Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. He said it himself. Jimmy Garoppolo has a broken bone in his foot, and he's out for the year. And now he's not. No foot surgery required for Jimmy Garoppolo, and he could return in seven to eight weeks. Seven weeks puts him at the divisional round of the playoffs. Now, this wasn't anything the 49ers said. This could be wishful thinking from Garoppolo's standpoint. He's got a lot of money tied to his ability to play. He's got big bonuses on the line for postseason play. He's got a strong financial incentive to try to get back. But he could be back. And, you know, one of the very real questions will be, and this gets back to the Dak Prescott-Cooper Rush conversation, oh, technically he's healthy enough to play, but do we really want him to play? If, if Brock Purdy has five more games under his belt in addition to the one that he just got on Sunday and everything's clicking, do we really want to upset the apple cart then? So, I, yeah, you know, the news is he could be back in seven to eight weeks. I think the analysis is, are they going to want him in seven or eight weeks? Or are they going to be content to stick with the guy who will have had six games of experience going into the playoffs? Yeah, well, I think that, that'll play a, a, a big factor in it just to see how he develops here. Uh, he certainly didn't seem overwhelmed on Sunday, that's for sure. Did a did a really good job when you when you think of all the circumstances there. But you know, Mike, yeah, you're you're saying it right. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, first off, he could be back in seven or eight weeks. All right, so he could be back, but that doesn't mean like he's game ready, ready to play in a football game in eight weeks. That means he could be back on the practice field, and then we could see how it goes from there. And again, it's it's a it's a foot injury here where you're not going to be able to throw a whole lot here. You're not going to be able to do anything for a while. Okay, then maybe we get five or six down weeks down the road. Okay, maybe you could stand there and throw. Okay, but now all right, now it's that seven or eight week mark. Oh wait, wait, now you could start moving. I mean, you're just going to start moving then. Hey, you could start cutting. Hey, we'll let you drop back and step up in the pocket and make a throw. And that's where yeah, that'll be dicey, Mike. And that's where they're going to have to balance, wait, is Brock Purdy doing good enough to where we let Jimmy keep getting better and maybe he could play for us in the Super Bowl or something like that? We give him another week or two in practice? Or is Brock Purdy so bad that, damn, Jimmy Garoppolo at 80% or 75% is good enough and let's throw him back in there? And that's the decision they'll make here. But, yeah, I have a hard time thinking he's going to be ready wild card or divisional round, even though if that's the weak time frame that's, you know, kind of set up right now. There's another factor that just occurred to me, too. 
I think that if they become comfortable with Brock Purdy as the alternative to Trey Lance in 2023, if Lance for some reason is either still injured or has a new injury or just isn't very good, why do you want to complicate your life for next year by reintroducing the Garoppolo factor into the mix? You know, because the report was out there Sunday, not that it's really news. The door isn't closed on Jimmy G staying with the 49ers next year. Well, no crap, it's not closed. There's still chapters left in this book. We're still trying to see what the 49ers are going to be. And if they get to the Super Bowl and if they win it, of course Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be back next year. You're not going to let him walk away, assuming you can convince him to stay that's the problem the more attractive he is to you the more attractive he is to everyone else and you've got your starter supposedly you're only going to keep him by paying him starter money because there's going to be somebody else that wants to if he has some great finish to the season my point is this you avoid all that crap if you are happy with brock purdy yeah if you're content for him to be your alternative to trey lance and you just don't want to recomplicate your life with this, when will we finally rip the Band-Aid off of the Jimmy Garoppolo experiment? The Band-Aid's currently off. Let's not put it back on. I think that, you know, and I know when you get into playoff mode, Chris, you just want to win games. But if things are close, if yeah, all things are I, equal, I, I hear that's you. a reason to say, let's, I hear we're, you. we're past the Garoppolo right. phase. Right. We are Lance and Purdy for 23, 24, and 25. I, I, I don't disagree with your thought there. I think you're right. If he can close that gap to where they go, wait, you know, Jimmy being on the field is here and Brock Purdy's right here right now with the way he's played and Jimmy's not 100%. I, I don't disagree with your thought there. You know, Ty goes to Purdy. Ty goes to the, you know, less dysfunctional conversation for our offseason or hoopla or whatever you want to say there. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could. And I, I wouldn't be shocked. If we saw Brock Purdy, you know, look pretty good and manage this offense and Shanahan, if there was ever a flaw in in Kyle Shanahan, it might have been like maybe being too aggressive and not managing games at times, right? Where like when he had Nick Mullins a few years ago, he was still running an offense and being aggressive and I just want to go, damn, you know, he's going to throw an interception or get strip sack fumbled. That's just what he's going to do. And I'd watch the game and go, gosh, if he would just kneel on the ball the whole game, they're going to win the game because their defense is good enough, and he'll come up with some trick play, and they'll, they'll, they'll get it done. And I think he has been less, you know, aggressive, maybe asking Jimmy to do something crazy every now and then, and he'll manage Purdy the right way, and they got the team to manage him. And Purdy's played a lot of college football. That's the other thing they got going for them, too. This is not a guy like Trey Lance who was like, well, he barely played in college, let alone he hasn't played in the NFL. Purdy got four years of a ton of pro offense experience in Iowa State. Shanahan run the ball, right? Hey, a few little short passes, play defense. Shanahan will come up with a few trick plays, screens, reverses, speed sweeps like we always see. And we'll go, well, Brock Purdy looks pretty good. And I, if they can do that, then they can still be a, a real pain in the ass and for everybody in the NFC. Brock Purdy, the guy who looks like someone that you think you should know who it is, and it drives you crazy until you figure out who it is. In a few weeks, we may be saying, we know who Brock Purdy looks like. He, he looks like He looks pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Let's take a break. Odell Beckham Jr. has visited three teams. Where will he be signing? 
probably not in Dallas. We'll be discussing that next here on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 